0: Well, again, good morning. Um, honor to be here. I, I find it uh, it's kind of a funny morning for me, in some ways, to be able to do this, because uh, you noted that uh, Steve and Gerald and their whole families have left. <laughs> My son is well, uh, so they knew I was teaching. Anyway, um, I say that's right. That's right. A lot of a lot of freedom. Uh, when that takes place. I want to talk about, um, about faith this morning. But I want to start out just for a thinking process. Thinking about transitions that happen. Okay? So, uh, you know, start with transitions, positive or negative. When you think of transitions, what do you think? Both? Both? Okay. You said Danger. And what way? It can go either way. Yeah. Yeah. can go either way in a hurry. Yeah. I think it usually turns out positive. It could be a negative circumstance that helps you to grow as a person ah. in Christ. And therefore, has a positive result on your life. Yeah, exactly. And and so you're talking about perspective. Right. How will I view this thing that takes place? Um yeah you know and sometimes one of the things i've discovered is my perspective changes depending on whether the transition that's taking place was my choice or whether it was something unexpected that you follow me um what's the difference well, like in a job market if you chose to go to another job you might feel excited yeah as <laughs> we uh, heard our brother saying, Well I don't have to move to Kansas City or I don't have a job, that's unexpected. Yeah. It can turn out better, you know, there's options for how about Eric uh if if the job you find out I'm I'm taking a cut, then it's a transition that you had not expected. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't anticipated. I wasn't ready for that. And they can be challenging. Um, whatever that might be. Robert, I'm I'm thinking that uh, this young man (laughs) you spent time with, shared your bedroom with, um, I'm thinking that was unexpected to him. So how does it unfold? But apparently, it's unfolding in the Lord's hands. God is doing something that only God can do. That's what can take place with transitions that take place in our lives. So, but it does make a difference whether I was expecting that transition or not expecting that transition. It makes a difference in, in how I initially encounter it. Now, uh, I, I would think that the difference might be there also if uh, you suddenly get contacted by... Who is the group that uh, has the, the uh, big award thing they give out? Uh, the what? The what? Uh, well, that would be it, yeah. If I got if they called and said, "Hey, this week, this is your own," uh, you know, that was one of those things where I'm going, "Yeah," uh, but it also could be, you know, the government who's just contacted you and said, "By the way, you're, you know, you you owe us uh, hundred thousand dollars in back taxes," so, uh, you know that. So it depends on how you perceive that and what the nature of the transition is. But they all come; they take place in our lives all the way through. We, um, t- had two songs really impacted me this morning. Uh, one was because of uh, um, the memory of it. They'll know we are Christians by our love. First time I ever sang that was probably 1967. <laughs> Did y'all know that it was out then? Uh, and I was doing campus ministry at Texas Tech, uh, in Lubbock, Texas. Um and that was a brand new song to me, a brand new thought. But we sang that then, and it was a time of trouble. Uh, all kinds of transitions taking place that had to do with politics and race and uh, ideology of all kinds. Um, we needed a song like that then. The church needed a song. church was very divided. I'm talking about global church was very divided in so many ways and we needed a song that reminded us what Jesus said. This is how they're going to know you're my followers. And then we sang Amazing Grace. And what is it, that third song? Through many, what? Many Many trials. I've already come. Transitions. The songwriters of old looked at life, I think, in a very realistic way and said, um, This is not a cakewalk. This is challenging. Transitions are going to come, and they're not all going to be positive, and they're going to be challenging. And Jesus even warned us about that. He told us before He left you're going to go through a lot of difficulty, a lot of troubles. But he says, I have overcome the world. And he said all of that before he went to the cross. So we need to be reminded of all of that. So perception really makes a difference in how we see anything that comes, and thank you for that. I, I was reminded, thinking about all this, that in Psalm 42, twice at least in, in this Psalm, David, David uh, poses a question. I need to get out of the way of this, don't I? What if I move down here? David uh, David reminds us, uh, as, as he struggles with his perception and uh, how he's thinking about what he's going through. It's not a, an easy time. And he raises the question. God, he asks of himself, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So um, part of what I want you to think about this morning for a few minutes is this whole thing about faith. And I, I'm going to guess that here in the room, and I've had enough conversations already to know that that different people are at different places. no surprise there, okay and and you may be in a different time right now than you were. A day ago, a week ago, a year ago, twenty years ago, you may be in a time of challenge, transitions that are um, that are stretching you. Maybe in some ways that you don't want to be stretched. Maybe ideas and whatnot. It's interesting that they uh, his first definition he gives for the word faith is a conviction of the truth of anything. Belief. And that's an important concept. Now, uh, there's a lot of different other Greek words that are used that, that are variations of this. But but the conviction of something, of the truth of something, and th- thus a belief in something, uh, that makes a difference. And, and I, I hope you'll lock into that. This is all about belief. As a matter of fact, one of the the best ways I know how to describe that when I'm trying to talk to somebody about the whole concept of faith is the idea of trust. And and there's a lot of people say that you know I, I think faith is a foolish thing. I, I think uh, you know anybody that's just you're operating on faith, you're just kind of living in Never Never Land. Um, well, it's not true. Everybody, everybody, every person lives. By faith, every day, faith in something, faith in something. The food you eat, especially if you go to a restaurant or you eat at somebody else's house, uh, I, how's that going to work for you? I've eaten some food that revisited more than once. Um, I've eaten in restaurants where, you know, as a result of that, I got sick. Uh, But I trusted, for the moment, I trusted in that place to serve me good food. Any of you ever, when you you bought a brand new car, or a used car, whatever, but you got in it and you started out and you pushed on the accelerator and you went down the road, and then what did you do as you came to a stop sign, traffic light, what did you do? Pushed on the brake pedal. Why did you do that? You're, doing, you're hoping. Yeah. Why, why did you say it that way? Why not? It might not. Any of you ever pushed on a brake pedal where the master cylinder had gone out? Yeah. yeah. Car just keeps on going. Okay. That's where you drag your foot or something. Um, so the whole idea here is about trust. God calls us to trust Him to trust Him, believe in Him, have faith in Him. Um, And that makes all the difference. We trust things that have proven to be trustworthy over time. And that's why we go back to Scriptures over and over again and reread the Scriptures to to learn what God tells us about yourself. And that's That's what Scripture is trying to do, tell us about God, and thus about ourselves, and ultimately about our Savior. Well, um, but we go through these challenges, okay, from time to time that come up in different kind of ways. But here's what the Hebrew writer says, and I love how he gives this description. It's the only, des- per- uh, only description that's just outright description of, of faith that I know of in Scripture. Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, did you notice that it uses the word hope, not wish? <laughs> Every once in a while, have you all heard somebody say, I, I got faith for... And then they name something. I'm, I'm doing this by faith. I find myself wanting to kind of back away a little bit from, from standing too close to them sometimes. Because some, sometimes it's just all about wishes. Because biblical faith is always based on the promises of God. And hope is based on the promise of God. We hope in something because God said this is true. I don't hope out of the blue. I hope in this. And sometimes we use the word hope really when I should be using the word wish. I wish this would happen. Not that I hope it will happen. Okay, so it's like some of you are saying, I hope he gets through with this sometime. (laughs) Well, you've never heard me teach before, so you don't know whether I'm going to get through or not or where this is going to go. Uh, so you've got a wish right now. Okay, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. We'll turn it into a hope. Okay, pray. Right. Hope is based on promises. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's down the road. If I can see it, it's not hope anymore. It's reality. For by it the people of old received their commendation the writer says. And then verse 6, he says, without faith, without faith it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Now let me encourage you, I, I don't know of anything throughout Scripture that indicates that God is pleased with a casual approach to Relationship with him. I, I just don't I don't know of it anywhere. I don't think it's there. There are these encouragements over and over again for us to pursue that. What is remember what what is the the great statement to Israel? Israel, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. With what? All your heart. And all your heart and your soul, mine and strength. That sounds like pursuit. That sounds like, I really ought to take this seriously. I really ought to do something with this. This is not a casual thing. I'm working at this. If I'm going to have a relationship with God, there's got to be some work on my side. And now think about any other relationship you have, any other person that you care about, and that you have a good relationship with, it's because you work at it. You're, you're pursuing something. You're not earning something by that work. It's just that the, the work of developing the relationship. And so we, we do that. So so um, here's what I discovered. The Bible confronts us in so many, many ways. It confronts us in our attempts to live independent from Him. And it confronts us with our neediness before a holy God. We used to sing an old hymn that said, I need thee. The chorus said, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Amen. Well, um, I think they got it right. <laughs> they got it right. We really do need him. Our temptation and our fallenness is to try to help God. You ever notice that? Uh, Maybe you haven't done that. Some of us have. Some of us, we try to have. We try to second guess God's plans and His. we try to govern what He alone can accomplish. And the the wonderful thing is, Scripture gives us a bunch of stories, and so what I want to do for just a few minutes and take you through two or three of these stories of people who experience what I'm going to, this is just what I'm going to call it, okay, faith belief crisis. Uh, going through a passage. Now, You know, they don't have to be the end of the world or anything like that, but sometimes they seem like that. And some of you may have been through your own faith crisis, a a, a time of, I believed in something and, wow, this doesn't seem to be unfolding. What am I going to do with this? So, before I introduce these, let let me pray just for a moment. Father, thank you. You, um, Your steadfast love endures forever. And we need you. You know our hearts. You know our words before we speak. You know our thoughts from afar. And I praise you for that, Father. That means you also know our anxieties and our fears and you know the, the foolish things we think and do. And you know... Father, I just confess for me, I, I miss a lot. I, I, miss, I misunderstand. It seems like it's taken me so long to understand some things. And so I pray today that through these stories you have given to us, that then that, uh, that in a fresh new way, we will look at our own faith journey. And discover that you are always there and that you always have the right answer. And that your way is best. And Help us even more to learn to trust you and to do that with joy. Thank you for Jesus, your Son, who your word says that for the joy set before him endured the cross that we might be Born again and given eternal life with you. We look forward to that day, Father. Until then, continue to teach us and refine us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Open your word to us in fresh new ways. I pray through Jesus. Amen. Okay, I want to give you these several stories and kind of do these real quick. But um, can you think of when you think of Abram, and I'm using his initial word, okay Abram, exalted father. Uh, any kind of uh, crisis with Abram? Yeah. Okay. What was the issue here? I have no heir. Genesis Genesis 15 or so. Um, he comes to God and, and, uh, and says, God, I, uh, um, you know, you, you say I'm going to be this great nation. I don't have, any, I don't have the, the child. That was promised. So, and and so, a servant in my household is going to be the one who inherits everything. And that's—I didn't think that was the way we planned all this. God, what what is going on here? Um, and and I'm old, by the way. Okay, he's about seventy-five at this stage. Um, no child yet. And God says, well. <laughs> It's going to happen. And we, and we read that this morning. It was delightful to read that. And don't you love the name of the child of promise? Isaac, which means laughter. Yeah, he laughed. Yeah. Uh, it's it's got to be great. Well, no wonder, because Abram's going to be 100 when the boy is born. It, this promise is going to take 25 years to get finished. You okay with that? 25 years to get finished. Um, Sarah's going to be 90. Um, totally surprised. No wonder she laughed that the promise was there. So God in His promise comes to him. Remember, hope is always built on a promise. God says, He brings Abram outside and says, Look toward heaven. Number the stars if you're able to number them. And then He says, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. Abram believed the Lord. Now, I don't know about you. If I had no kids at all, and God said to me one day, Go out and look at the stars, and uh, you're going to have more kids than that. And so I'm, okay, I'm, you know, I've already passed 75. I'm not thinking about starting again. I got three kids. Yeah, yeah, I'm not staying. God said, Yeah, 25 more years, Mike, you're going to have. A, yeah, I, 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 I mean, do you see the challenge here of can, you know, can, I, can I believe this? And so when it says Abraham believed God, and God said, That's what I'm looking for. Will you trust me when it doesn't seem to make any sense to you? I don't know about you, but I've just discovered that there's a lot of life that's kind of like that. What about Job? What was Job's (laughs) crisis? He was very blessed. He was popular. He uh, He was wise. He was highly regarded. Sat in the gates of the city. Counseled. Did all the kind of things. Had lots of property, land, lots of kids. And then, just in a heartbeat, all gone, all gone. And then covered with sores. And his friends come to comfort him. By the way, don't you love that that we get to come and encourage each other here? <laughs> I don't need I don't need encouragers like Job's. Okay. <laughs> now, if I'm doing wrong, I need you to tell me. But but I yeah. Okay. So. Um, so Job comes and ar- makes his argument. I need an answer, and God, you know, his, his friends have done all their stuff. Finally, uh, God says, "Okay, you want an answer? Let's see if you can answer my question, so we'll know what we're talking about." Okay, I'm paraphrasing a lot of stuff here. Okay, God, I'm, God says, "I'm gonna let me let me quiz you on a few things." And when he gets through, Job finally says, "Hush my mouth." Obviously, I can't. Answer any of those things. Job says, Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. I'd heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself, repent in dust and ashes. Here's a response. Um, by, the, by the way, we sang Amazing Grace. Remember that phrase? What did it say? Grace taught my heart... What was the first word? To fear. The word fear is kind of used in two main ways in Scripture. One is um, you really ought to be afraid. This is God and you're not. Uh, And He is sovereign and almighty. The other one is this high regard or respect, Uh, and so it's used in both senses. And we're called. uh, Job says, "You know, I I I, I've come here to this place where I I I realize who I am before you. I repent. I rethink everything in dust and ashes. So Job has to come to this point where he says, God, if you you want to do all this, whatever it is, that's your business, not mine." I'm going to have to allow that to take place, and he ends up being blessed greatly. But that's that's not the whole issue right here that I want to think about. What about Esther? Remember Esther? Wonderful story of Esther. What was the crisis there? You what? We all may die. We, we, all may die. <laughs> we all may die, and I may die at the king's hand. So, if you don't remember the story. Anything about the story? Israel, Judah has been taken off into cap- Babylonian captivity. Uh, while they're there, uh, now it's the medo Persian Empire. But uh, and so the king got mad at his wife, got rid of her, decided to get a new one. They brought in all these young virgins, trained them got them ready one by one they appeared before the king king really liked Esther great problem here she's a jew he didn't king didn't know that king had a bad advisor who says i hate jews we ought to kill them all and he got the king to fund it and so there was going to be this day when they all died and and uh, Esther had been reared by a cousin of hers got him Mordecai and Mordecai heard about this plot and uh and he got word to Esther you you got to go talk to the king because not only all your fellow jews are going to die and uh Esther said I can't do that he hadn't called me to come see him uh if he didn't call me to come see him I can't go if I do go well uh she says um you know, as for me, I hadn't been called to come to see the king these thirty days. It's been a while since I've done that, and and so if I go to the king, uh, he may if he doesn't want to receive me, he can just say, "Kill her," and she's gone. And so she makes this incredible statement. Then I will go to the king. I, finally, she gets the point. Mordecai uh, convinced her: if you don't go, you're going to die, and all the Jews are going to die. And so she says, okay, this is my plight. I've got to go. She says, I'll go to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Okay, again, transition in her life. If things were looking really, really good for her, she was the king's favorite. Um, And all of a sudden, her life's on the line. Transitions take place. What is it I believe in that moment in time? What about Paul? We love to read the stories about Paul I love Paul. I, I he I, I'm not like him. He's he's the I'm he's the I'm going to make it happen. Yeah, you ever notice that? I'm, I'm these Christians they ought to be you know this this cult ought to be wiped out, and then God got his attention. Okay, God changed his life and whatnot. But Paul's still committed. I'm going to go. I'm going to go wherever and and do whatever. Um. And he's just unashamed and unafraid to go and make it happen. But he runs into this deal when he's writing the, the letter to Corinth, his second letter to Corinth. Remember, he writes there and he says, we, want, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Now this is Paul that makes this next sentence. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I never expect Paul to say something like that. That he was in despair. Now, I'm going to guess that there probably are two or three people in this room who are kind of driven people as well. You know what it's like. You you you, you make decisions, you expect them to be carried out. You just want to get it and go. Have you ever come to one of those places where you realize you're totally not in charge? Um, When it's not up to you anymore? And you're going to have to trust someone else? Maybe you can kind of get an idea of what that's like. Paul says, indeed, we had felt we'd received the sentence of death. And here's the purpose. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, the focus of hope and faith is always in someone, not in something. It's in someone. We were called to trust in God. Not our outcome. Not what we wanted or wished for. We were called to to trust someone. And there's something built into every one of us. Okay, I'm going to guess that every one of you either has one or two or, or maybe a lot of people in your life That you trust in, that you you'd lean on, you just know they're gonna be trustworthy. They're they're gonna be there for you no matter what. There are probably a few of you here who desperately wish that you had someone that was like that. We were designed to trust God. That was designed. So Paul says. He had to take me back there, in spite of all that he'd done. He had to go back there. Okay. The last thing is this: the story of Habakkuk, and and I'm struck this morning. Uh, this was mentioned earlier this morning. That if any of you kept up with the news at all, you know what's taking place in Israel right now. The the shelling, the bombing that's going on there right now. It's just, it's unbelievable, and it's 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 how it's how horrendous it is. What's taking place that That their enemies are going into the cities, dragging people out of cars, raping women, children, taking them off. Habakkuk was a prophet, lived some 600 years before Christ. He's in the southern kingdom of Judah. And when when the story opens up, Habakkuk's complaining. Might be identified with a lot of us about stuff. He's complaining though about what's going on there uh, in Judah and Jerusalem. And he says, it's horrible. God, this is horrible. People are acting awful. Uh, people are there everything's wrong. We're, we're, everything's bad. And so Habakkuk speaks up and he, he cries out and he says, God, I'm crying out for your help. You don't seem to listen. You make me look at injustice. Why do you why do you tolerate what's wrong? You're putting up with stuff and I don't understand it. There's violence and strife. Conflict abounds. Now, by the way, Habakkuk might have said all this about America today. It's sounding kind of a contemporary message in lots and lots of ways. Justice is perverted. The wicked... Or winning. You know, we yearn for God to speak. You just need to know, you better be ready if He's going to answer. Okay? Because God speaks and He says, now by the way, I'm paraphrasing a lot of this, okay? I do see what is happening, He says, and I'm doing something about it. I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, to overrun the land of Judah. You got to love this. Habakkuk responds, ah, "Surely you don't mean this. They're worse than we are." You can't tolerate wickedness. I know you, God. You're a good God. You hate wickedness. And he begins to describe. They're idolaters. They worship their own power. They're destroying every nation they encounter. Are you really let them going to get away with this? I'll stand. How about I'm just going to stand and wait until you give me an answer to my complaint. And God responds. And he says, then write down what I've said, because it will happen. Even if you have to wait a little while. And he says about the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, he says, let me tell you about them and what's going to unfold. Behold, his soul is puffed up. I know, I know. By the way, so was Judah's. His soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But here's what you've got to remember. The righteous shall live by his faith. Remember, what's the focus of faith? It's God. Yeah, hope. Hope in the one who promises and we trust in a person, not in the outcome. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. And it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty at all. But God does say, and by the way, in my paraphrase, by the way, I'll take down Babylon in time. And sure enough, he does. Okay. Now, here's what unfolds, which I love. In chapter, You get to chapter 3, and there's only three chapters in Habakkuk. So go home and read it, please. Habakkuk begins to pray, and he says, "Oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. I've heard what you've done in the past. I've read the stories. By the way, why do you have the Bible? You need to be familiar with these stories. I remember a lot of years ago, I was teaching a group of teenagers and I'd been teaching them over some weeks in a Sunday school class. and, And... Week after week, as we would illustrate certain points, I'd say, do you all remember the story? Because most of these were church kids. Mm-hmm. you remember the story? And I would tell whatever little story that was. And so after a few weeks, this one young man, he's like a junior in, in high school, and he comes up to me after a certain, he says, my, my, you know, every, every day when you say, remember those stories? He said, I don't know any of them. I hope you're refreshing yourself on the stories. you'll never wear them out. You'll never get to the end of them, and every time you read them there'll be something new that you'd missed the last time. Mm -hmm. Just from Romans 15. Whatever was written before days for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Hope. There it is. To the end. Yeah, what was written before. Encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so Habakkuk in his prayer says, God, um, what you've done in the past, I, I know the stories, do it again, revive it again. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath, in the wrath that's coming to us. Remember mercy. I know that, you see, one of the reasons we study is because we want to know the character of God. What is he like? We live in a world where people are talking about a God that's the God of their own creativity. I need to know the God who is, and, and I mean, why would we? Why would we be surprised at that? Don't you want to know people to know you as you are, not as they make up stuff about you? You ever had people do that to you one time? You'll be going, uh, and just <laughs> let me tell you who I really am. This is who I want be. So it is with God. I need to know him as he is. He is a God of wrath, but he's also a God of great incredible mercy. So my paraphrase, I've heard of all your mighty deeds in those nations that you've conquered. And then toward the end of chapter 3, Habakkuk, I love his prayer. He says, "I hear, ah, my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound rottenness enters into my bones." What's going on here? I'm, I'm dealing with the sovereign God of the universe. Uh, this is a scary place. You know, this is kind of like Isaiah. The year Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He's high and lifted up. He's train to fill the temple. And what does Isaiah say? He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't need to be talking here. I think I'm going to die. Okay. Habakkuk's getting the point. Rottenness entered in my bones. My legs trembled beneath me. I'm having a hard time standing. Yet I'll quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. You, you said you're going to get them. I'll have to trust you. And then there's these three things he says in his prayer. And I want you to think about America today. You know, we, we keep hearing these stories about the Great Reset that might be coming, we, about a period of significant trial and stuff. We lived on, uh, in Houston area for 28 years, Gulf Coast, so hurricanes would come through, and everybody bought up everything that could be bought before the storm got there, and then when the storm came, you know, you go down to Walmart or Home Depot, and there's nothing there. That's kind of the picture that Habakkuk envisions of what may be coming, because he knows what happens when Babylon comes through. They destroy everything. They just destroy it. And he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines I don't know if you've ever seen an area that had been devastated with drought for a long period of time. It just it is so unbelievably ugly. The produce of the olive failed. The fields yield no food. Today we might say nothing in the stores. Nothing on the shelves. The flock be cut off from the fold. There be no herds in the stalls. If this is what's coming, and it very well may be, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy In the God of my salvation. Yes. Yes. I'm going to have to trust Him no matter what takes place. So I started this with the whole idea of transitions. All of us are there. All of you, all of us are going through some transition in some way or another. I may not be aware of it. It may have already, I may have just finished one. I may be in the middle of one. I may be. Heading to some transition. I don't know what it might be. Some of us, my age, are learning how to deal with age stuff. I've always been just incredibly healthy and agile. and I'm not anymore. And I don't like it. I do like what's ultimately coming. Well, so... Habakkuk. I want you to see that story again because what Paul writes in Romans is he introduces his letter to them. He's never been there before and he doesn't know these people, but he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to tell you about the gospel, this incredible good news from God. It is the power of God for salvation, not the power of anything else, not our ideas, not anything we can muster together, not how good we are. None of, we don't bring anything to the table. This is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes Who believes this issue of faith again. To the Jew first, also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And that's what we desperately need, the righteousness of God imputed to us. That's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. Remember when he says, He made him who had no sin to be sin that we might become The righteousness of God imputed to us. Paul says in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Where do you think he got that? I think he knew that story of Habakkuk. And I think, in light of what Paul's going to say next in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Romans, He's gonna say, Do you understand? Uh, things are not good. And you desperately need a savior. And so we've provided the one who is the perfect one. Indeed. Well, that's enough. That's enough. Time to quit. I, my purpose in all of this is to refresh you on stories and say, please go back and reread these. Go back and look at them again. Look at and and, and think about your life and where you are and what you're passing through. Transitions that you are in right now or have been in before. What did you learn from those? What do you take away from that? God, what are you showing me? How are you sanctifying me in that process? That's what we need to, to begin to discern. So we sing afresh. My hope is built. On nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I take not just the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand all. Other is Father, we we turn to you afresh today and just say, uh, shape our minds, mm. refine us as we need, help us that we learn to repent, and discover how perfect your ways are, how sufficient you are to meet every need. And how our hope can be in nothing other than you. Thank you for Jesus, your Son, our hope, our mediator, our Savior, our Lord. We offer our prayer and ourselves to you through him. Amen.